You have queued up the Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation recorded at the New York City Concert Hall, Roulette. You can hear thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's past and present and find news of upcoming events celebrating innovation and imagination at roulette.org. Aren't you curious? In this edition, the music of John King, with commentary by the composer, whose solo, small and large ensemble, and politically tinged works have appeared at Roulette since the mid-1980s, with King on electric violin, viola, guitar, and electronics. The recordings have been preserved as part of Roulette's Concert Archive Project. This is John King. John King, I'm a composer, guitarist, violist, originally from Minneapolis. I think a lot of my 
early influences when I was a kid was I had an older brother, two years older than me, and he got an electric guitar one year. And I said, I want a guitar. And uh, my parents got me an acoustic guitar and was playing that. And like many kids at that time, uh, Beatles, Rolling Stones were sort of the, the pe people that I was listening to a lot. But then I started listening to um, Chicago blues. And when I was 14 years old, I had a very, you know, uh, epiphanal moment with listening to Muddy Waters live at the uh, Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. He was, you know, fronting his band, and the band came out and played. They did a couple instrumental sets, and they were just amazing. And then, um, then they hit another, a third heavy shuffle, Chicago shuffle, really hard. And all of a sudden, the curtain parts at the side, and Muddy comes through with a floor-length gold satin smoking jacket and his guitar and he starts he just tears into his solo and um, I said I want to be that guy <laughs> when, I, when I was a senior no no when I was a ju junior in high school I got into what they called a free education program where you could choose your own classes I was reading Plato I was reading Dostoevsky but I also went to, a, there was a place, an extension of the University of Minnesota called the McPhail Center. Began studying counterpoint two days a week and got to be three days a week. Started studying violin, began one day a week and got turned into two days a week. Started studying piano. But I was doing, you know, rock music and blues music the whole time. But I was also learning about Bach and learning about counterpoint. There were, there were kind of these two streams that the older I got, the more they kind of coalesced and, and overlapped. My brother was going to school at CalArts in California. So he said, oh man, you got to come out here. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on. And Morton Sabotnik is teaching and there are synthesizers all over the place. So I applied and started studying there, which was the greatest uh, move I've ever made. I'm working with Mort, working with Leonard Stein, working with Stephen Moscow working with J James Tenney. He was one of those teachers that taught by not teaching, by not, you know, by not saying, oh, do this. He kind of just, he was very quiet and he listened and he might ask a question about something that you did, but he wasn't, it, it wasn't like he was trying to guide you down a path. I mean, that's, I think, Mort's also, he was very brilliant at being, being a, a mentor, really a mentor rather than a, you know, complete these assignments or, you know, you know, do this or that or the other. They, um, they taught by stepping back in a way and letting the student figure out what they wanted to do. So anyway, I graduated and my initial thought was, 
to study with Olivier Messiaen in Paris, the Paris Conservatory. So I wrote to him, I sent him scores, and I was accepted uh, as a student of his. This is a very um, particular memory. I walked in the door of the Paris Conservatory, and I knew that I was walking, almost physically walking in someone else's footsteps, not my own. Like I was, you know, I heard about Boulez and Stockhaus, all these people studying with this guy, and then, you know, and that was a path. And I just realized that it, it was a path that I thought I was supposed to be on, but it wasn't the path that I wanted to be on. I had friends in New York and they said, oh, again, you've got to come to New York. There's like all these art galleries and concerts and all, there's this, all this stuff going on. And as soon as I hit the streets, it was like the opposite of what happened in the Paris Conservatoire. It was like I hit the streets and I said, this is exactly the, I could feel the energy from the sidewalk. I could feel the energy from walking down the street, you know, getting out of Grand Central and just, Walking downtown, I just felt this incredible energy. When I first moved to New York, a lot of the people that I knew were former CalArts composition students and performers. And so I was writing a lot of music for them and playing with them, playing violin, electric violin. Did some of those projects and then, but I was also, you know, writing what would be called, you know, chamber music. I was writing pieces for, you know, cello and piano and solo piano pieces and, uh, what Mort Sabotnik called hardcore avant-garde. But then I got into, like, like in the early 80s, got into more the, the scene that had already proceeded for quite a number of years, the more improv, open improv stuff that was going on in the East Village. I remember avant-garde-arama at PS122. I did a couple of those with, uh, you know, setups in those days, like lots of pedals and lots of cables. And I was playing an electric violin that actually Max Matthews had given me, an electric violin that he made. And that's another trajectory that I was doing music for Merce Cunningham Dance Company. And I met Max Matthews through John Cage. He showed me a violin of his. Um, and the interesting thing about these violins is that every each string had a, uh, piezo mic uh, pickup on that string. So you could tone control and volume control every string and the output was separate too. So, um, and then he said that, you, that I could take it, I could work with that violin for the um, Cunningham company. What it allowed me to do, I thought of immediately, was have one string be in one part of the theater, the other string be in another part. So just doing a broken chord across all four strings would send the sound completely around the theater, which um, was a really great experience to have. slowly dawned on me, and, and this is maybe like 15 or 20 years ago, that like I really loved improvised music and participating in improvised music. I loved the idea of writing down in my own particular way complexities that are, that are written and fixed, so-called determinant music. 
I also loved and appreciated and was inspired by putting music together through chance and indeterminacy. Slowly those, those three elements began to overlap and one intersected with another and one came in from the other side and then overlapped and, and there's determinate parts, there's very indeterminate parts, there are little graphic notation, little alchemical indications as to what to do, like little um, directions, like take a melody and condense it or make a melody and let it evaporate. So String Vectors 2, written for the String Orchestra of Brooklyn, was again a time-based piece that I, I used a method of putting the musicians in time together, which is what I call time vectors. There would be a, a particular piece of music written, but the player could choose when to begin and when to end that piece.
Here's how I came about doing a gig with Gelsie Bell at Roulette. Uh, one of the former Cunningham dancers, uh, Robert Swinston, was coming to the Joyce Theater to do some events, and I asked Gelsie to, to perform them with me. And so the way Cunningham events work, at least from the musician's standpoint, is that all we get is the total duration of the piece and curtain up, curtain down. That's all we coordinate with the dancers. So we each came up with our own individually, independently created time score to fill out that, I think it was 60 minutes. She brought in all these great ideas and she had scores that she was doing. I didn't know anything about what was happening, but we were playing simultaneously. And then sort of out of that, this uh, other gig came at Roulette and Gelsie asked me to kind of enter into that sound world in the same way. We created this um, score independently again, and it was actually recorded, and it came out on Gold Bolus Records.
So I think it was in I think it was in 2012. Uh, I began, you know, paying a lot more attention to what was going on in Palestine, and also simultaneously with that, being interested in Arabic music and Arabic music systems and makamat, the, the scales of Arabic music, and ikat, the the different modes of rhythmic units. And I had studied sitar at CalArts and tabla. The, the first piece was called Humayun. That's a scale, that's a makam. And I did one piece and then I did another piece and I did more pieces and I was kind of learning as I was developing and I was learning about uh, the Nakba and the historical events. There was a war in, in uh, Gaza happening at the time and, and Rafa was being bombed and Gaza City was being bombed. and. And I, I, I named a couple of the quartets. I gave it the scale name, and then I also named it after those two towns. And a friend said, oh, you could, you could, you could name a, uh, pieces after all the villages of Palestine. So I started to do that. I started to look back at what was going on in 48, the Palestinian villages that were named and what went on in them. And it began to just like grow and grow and grow. I would, I would read about something, I would sit down and start writing. The pieces began to be named not after the, the key or the mode that they were written in, but they were named after the villages. And so I've got 120 of them now, and so I've got only 300 more to go. My father lived to be almost 102, so maybe, maybe I'll make it, maybe I'll make it.
So Astral Epitaphs was a piece written for brass sextet. Um, the Tilt Brass Ensemble played it and the Brooklyn Youth Chorus. And it was written originally for the last, the final performances of the Merce Cunningham Dance Company that took place at the Park Avenue Armory. Uh, David Behrman did a chunk of the music for that and Takahisa Kasugi and Christian Wolf. All four of us wrote roughly a fourth of the time of the total duration that they wanted. So when I got the opportunity, and thank you very much to Roulette for um, having the piece done here, not only did I have more time to do the piece, but uh, the, the chorus could be here, Tilt Brass could be here. They were up in the balcony, this chorus is up in the balcony. It was choral music that the, those singers had never really had. Usually their choral music is written, you know, like a hymn would be written. And my music was written all with timing and with certain elements that had to be, like people could start singing and then another group would start singing. And when they reached a very distinctive sound world, like an octave or a fifth, they would kind of rest there until the director, who wasn't beating time, she was just giving cues to like, okay, you've reached that focal point, now you go on. Singers would go on individually, they'd pro progress, they'd go through their phrase individually, they'd again attain one place, they'd wait until everyone in the choir had reached another focal marking point, and they'd stay there for a while, and then the conductor would say, okay, now you go to the next one. And so it was very open, and the, and the brass players were doing the same kind of thing. And then electronics were um, processing everything and sending them all over the room, which is always one of my favorite things to do. the musical projects of composer-performer John King. The full unedited performances can be found at roulette.org slash archive. These programs are made possible with support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Grammy Museum. This is David Weinstein at the desk. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to the Roulette Tapes a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org.